Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're about to get jumped. Welcome to episode 214 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 100 Part 2, Episodes 12 and 13, plus the first three episodes of Akame Ga Kill, wherein one, all of your problems can be solved by becoming an outlaw contract killer, and in the other, all of your problems can be solved by broccoli. Everyone needs to remember their their teachings when they were little children, which was, you do not trust the broccoli. But if you ever need the broccoli, you can always summon it through a long, long sequence of events to which you become powerful enough to level a city and see another person that might also level a city going completely wild. But you can summon the broccoli in order to save you. You can do that. You just need to call your local senator and uh, arrange them to come out to your town to plant the senator seed um, in the yard of broccoli. Uh, You need to water it four to six times uh, inside of a week to make sure that it's watered correctly. You need to keep it, um, you know, taken care of relatively good. It's not really good to plant inside of winter. You're going to have to wait a while. Anyway, there's a whole long thing. You can look it up. It's it's in your local handbook. Anyways, let's jump in. That's very informative. Well, it just is what it is. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Ba- back it's been on Blake a, and Spencer, uh, get scienced. Yeah, yeah. Hey everybody, uh, uh, I live in Memphis, and it's been a fucked up two weeks. <laughs> it's not been great. Um, yep. If you know, if if you haven't been paying attention, there was another police incident where another black man was killed for uh, what appears to be no reason. Um, which I don't know. I just I I wanted to take a moment. Uh, one because it bears repeating. Um, two because. Since you live in Memphis, since we both went to college in Memphis, this one hits extra close to home, I think, for me. Uh, That just, you know, Black Lives Matter. And as a reminder, Black Lives Matter doesn't mean Black Lives Matter more than everyone else's lives. And it doesn't mean that they should matter more than everyone else's lives. It is a reminder that Black Lives are often treated with less value in our country by people in power than other lives and that this is an incorrect way to live. And it is a call to action of sorts to uh, encourage people to stop doing that. Um, And I wanted to point out to one of the points of discourse that I saw in this, that I think about a lot when these things happen, which is a frustrating thing that I can say because these things do happen. Uh, And the point that I saw that I wanted to reiterate for you guys is to just remember that the police aren't supposed to kill you whether or not you're guilty. Yeah. Uh, as far as I can tell, I don't think Tyree, uh, Tyree Nichols did anything wrong. Uh, if he did, it was a minor traffic violation. It seems like, and uh, with, with George Floyd and, and with Tyree and it, it, all of these cases, there is a brigade of people that wants to scour the history of this person to see what, what if any infractions they may or may not have had in their past 
And uh, I think it, I think it's always worth remembering that like that doesn't matter. Uh, if you are a hardened criminal, you're still not supposed to get killed by the police. <laughs> like yeah. uh, they, they just aren't supposed to do it. Uh, there are obviously moments in which self-defense comes up. And I know that sometimes they try to put that defense up for themselves in these cases. I, I know that was a big sticking point for, for example, Brianna Taylor, um, and, uh, you know, obviously when you dig into those stories, I think if you like me are more sympathetic to the victims than to the police, you find those stories to be a little flimsy. Uh, but there are instances in which people are acting violently towards the police and the police, uh, feel that they have no recourse. And sometimes they're right about that. And sometimes they're wrong about that. But uh, outside of those instances in which they don't actually have a recourse and they're very correct about that, you're supposed to survive any interaction with them. There are yeah. no there are no laws in our country in which the police are the people who are allowed to give you a death sentence. Certainly not right on the spot. It just isn't how things work. It's not how they should work. And uh, yeah, I just I just I really hate this shit and I wish we would stop it. Uh, but I felt like because of the nature of where we are geographically located in our presence and in our histories that this one, I, I really wanted to make sure that we addressed this one briefly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just fucked up, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. like the it, thing just, that, the thing that drives me insane is that there's just, it's just, I can't, I can't go a day without hearing that some new crazy shooting or killing or thing has happened in this country yeah. somewhere. Like, yeah, like today, a, a typically I, high number of mass shootings too, which is not chill. Yeah. Like today I got off work and they were just like, Hey, somebody got shot at the uh, Memphis library. And I'm like the library, the library, such wonderful places at the library. Yeah. You mean where, where books are free at the library? Yeah. What the fuck is happening here? So Anyways. much is free at the library. You can 3D print things at some libraries. Libraries are an insanely good resource for people. Uh, they are heaven on earth and should Anyways. be held sacrosanct. Okay. Well, let's step away from that and talk about um, yeah. a completely different and also uh, probably super exciting piece of news for Blake. Uh, I don't see you put it out in the notes. I don't know how you haven't put this Did down I miss in this? the notes. Uh, but, uh, you know, what got, uh, a green light for more episodes. What? King of the Hill. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, so, okay. So there have been rumors around this. No, it got greenlit. <laughs> <laughs> the most recent thing I had seen or earlier this week was that it had not been greenlit. So I, I didn't, well, I don't know that I would have put down this as news on our show anyway, but I do love King of the Hill. So, uh, if that's true, I'm very excited. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's been you know it it says that uh, it says that it is signed into Hulu for at least two seasons with Mike Judge and the original cast. That's so. that's good. It's interesting the original cast. <laughs> There's a thing I was talking about. Uh, my husband's been rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender, and we were talking the other day about how uh, how well the show holds up. And I was like, the only thing that I can think of off the top of my head about Avatar The Last Airbender that doesn't hold up is that almost none of these characters are white. Almost all of the voice actors are. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, that is a thing that is a product of the time and is unfortunate 
without rising to the level of like, you know, capital offense. I don't, you know, I don't think people should stop watching Avatar The Last Airbender because of that. I don't even think it's the kind of thing, you know, like even if you've never watched The Office, like The Office is making fun of a bad boss, but that boss does some really cringy uh, things that are, are not okay. And I could see you being like, hey, if you've never seen The Office, I think you should check it out. Here is my upfront caveat warning, you know, content warning about this. I think that would be appropriate. I think it would be silly to do that with Avatar The Last Airbender. In the same way, uh, King of the Hill has multiple white people playing not white people that have accents that are not white people accents. So uh, I, I am a little surprised that they will have the original cast return to all of those roles. And I wonder how they're going to handle that. And uh, I think if they do have them all return, there may be a minor cultural kerfuffle over that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the other, the other piece of anime news that I, I got this week was anime adjacent. The first you got, is this a, is this a Blake and Spencer get jumped exclusive? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it's just uh, the the first images for the One Piece live action Netflix show have dropped. Oh, um, how did I miss a, all this? I don't know. You're just living under a rock. And I guess Colorado. Google decided I don't care about anime anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's really exciting. Um, it's I uh, as as uh, something else that recently dropped uh, has shown. Not always uh, are adaptations good and sometimes the creator um says that what he saw before it was turned into a full live action version of it was not what he completely agreed to and also uh i'm speaking now to um the creator of cowboy bebop um in his interview (laughs) in his interview (laughs) he fucking said that he was sent the uh, the first couple of episodes to watch before it dropped in the United States and around the world. And he was like, he couldn't get through the casino scene without uh, <laughs> feeling sick to his stomach and thinking to himself, this isn't Cowboy Bebop. And I was just like, yeah. oh my God. Like, that just means that they just like completely horseshitted us. When like what he was shown as an executive producer, what he was shown as like somebody who was supposed to sign off on things like just was not respected in the slightest. And apparently the things that he was signing off on were scripts and like, Mm. um, uh, like concept ideas and all this kind of stuff, but he wasn't able to see like story. Yeah. Yeah he wasn't able to see like the dailies and what people were doing with his characters and the direction that they were going like, yeah. uh, not to get back on my soapbox, but <clears throat> I have, I have since we try to watch it to begin with and I couldn't stomach getting all the way through. I have forced myself to watch it all the way through. Um, oh, just wow. because I wanted to be able to speak with authority on how frustrating this series ended up being. And the biggest reason why I hold wholeheartedly other than at the very end, Ed just being like, what the fuck is that character you are showing on screen? That is not Ed from fucking Cowboy Bebop. Anyways, the biggest one is just like how miscast and horribly done vicious as a character was done in this show. And it's just like, you don't need him to be like, I don't know why he seems so fucking silly in the show, 
the way that that actor portrays him, he's just like, I'm going to make this character new and whole cloth on my own. It was either him or it was the director pushing him then that way. And I'm like, the way that this character comes across is not menacing, not scary. He's just a bumbling idiot that just, I, I, I just have no respect for it. And I've really, really lost respect for the way that, Netflix has done this and it's really interesting also to see how many of the actors after doing that show have like tried to distance themselves from it and it also makes me worry that um the guy who played Spike um is just John Cho John Cho is never going to be able to be cast (laughs) in any other adaptation thing like this again it just it's just a black mark on them, and that just sucks. Yeah, I agree and I disagree. Uh, you know, not to not to fully relitigate the show. And of course, I only watched the two episodes that we watched. I ended up only watching two because it was an hour long for each episode uh, instead of our usual three. Um, it's also only like twelve episodes, so that's a pretty decent percentage. Um, but yeah, I I uh, I agree. It, watching the show is like this isn't Cowboy Bebop. This doesn't feel like Cowboy Bebop. And from that standpoint, if you're trying to, I, I, you know, as we've said many times, including in our initial discussion on Cowboy Bebop, I don't think that things have to be slap slavishly accurate to the source material in order to be a good adaptation. I think Jurassic Park is a really good example of this. I think it is an excellent adaptation that does many things differently than the book. Um, and, I I think that that is a particularly strange place to to live in and to come from in the anime community because in the anime community we have the atypical experience of having almost exact recreations when our favorite thing is translated from page to screen. Uh, uh, obviously, we don't have as many screen to screen translations, and I would say the track record for translating to live action screen from animated screen is not good. And I think almost every anime fan will agree with you on that for almost every anime adaptation. But uh, that said, you know when when I remember, I what I remember was yeah, Vicious was neutered and played intentionally or not for comedy in ways that were baffling and frustrating. And other otherwise, I thought that this show was entertaining. I thought it was a bad adaptation of Cowboy Bebop, but I thought it was a perfectly watchable and relatively enjoyable show on its own merits. Like if you've never seen Cowboy Bebop and you want to watch a jaunty space adventure, I think you will probably have a decent time with Cowboy Bebop, the live action adaptation based off of the first two episodes. If you have any knowledge of Cowboy Bebop and any reverence thereof, it's hard to feel that way because you know what it could be or what it arguably should be. And it's not that. And, uh, you know, there there is a gray area involved there where it's like, okay, I technically and officially take the position that when you're adapting something, you can and should have the license to make it your own. And part of that is doing things differently than the source material. I also think that Vicious, as a an extremely competent and dangerous foe, is a quintessential element of Cowboy Bebop. And it's like, 
you know, let's think of a movie that does an adaptation intentionally bad. Uh, that movie is called 21 Jump Street, and it's one of my favorite movies of all time because they're not trying to do a good adaptation. They're taking the piss out of adaptations by using an adaptation to do it. And it's like, if you're going to do Vicious as a joke character, you need to be joking about the whole thing. And they were taking a much lighter and more humorous tone, but they weren't they weren't trying to self-parody. If they were, they didn't go hard enough because it, it came across as unintentional. Not that they were, weren't trying to be high-octane sort of like comedic action, because I think the opening sequence makes that very clear. They are trying to do fun, absurd, over-the-top action. And I don't think that's the right choice, but I think it is a fun thing. It's wrong for Cowboy Bebop, but it's fun in a lot of situations. And uh, in this situation, it just was was incorrect. But Vicious, it's just wrong. That's not the character, you know? And it's like there, there are moving targets when you're adapting something. It's really hard to find a group of people to agree on what parts of the thing are quintessential and must be retained by the adaptation. Uh, but I think for basically all Cowboy Bebop fans, that was one of them, and they didn't do it. <laughs> but my, my right. point stands that I think it's a fun show if you don't have that frame of reference, or if you can just completely jettison from your brain the idea that this is Cowboy Bebop and approach it as a new thing that's unique to itself. I think you'll have a decent time. All right. We do have uh, a a another piece that we need to talk to this week, which is yeah. a slashy a, slashy kill times. Well, okay. Let's let's talk about uh, <laughs> a comedy guy kill, which is something. Um, okay, so yeah, the original uh, I have a series, confession here. I've been that? reading the manga for a comedy guy kill for a while now, and I'm very far into the story. And uh, I have pretty established opinions, so I really want to hear what you think before I say anything. Okay, so here's here's what we did. We watched a, <laughs> the show. the uh, The manga was was done originally starting in 2010. Um, it wrapped up in 2016. It looks like it has a uh, another series, a sister series, as it were. Um, started 2013, ran up until 2019, and it looks like there is one that was um, uh, like another series that's connected to it that started in 2017 and ran until 2022. So there's a lot of content if you want it. The show, however, um, is, I believe, a single season. Um, it ran from 2014 in July until December 2014. Um, 24 episodes. And uh, it did not did not do it for me at all. Um, yeah, I was not. I'm not surprised by that. So here's here's the issue. <laughs> not only is it just, I don't think it's very well animated. Did you did you also feel like that? Because it it felt sloppy and um, kind of. I I, I would say know. it was medium. I think. I think we've watched a lot of things. I think the thing we watched last time uh, through the breach or whatever the fuck it was had crazy good animation, Mm -hmm. atypically good animation, especially for a show of its type. Um, I would put that at the high end along with the sort of like smaller, you know, lovingly recreated productions like a cowboy bebop. Um, 
And then you get your middle of the road, such as like our current Naruto coverage when it's not Sakuga Fest is pretty decent. You know, I think I think your average episode of My Hero Academia is going to sit at the higher end of middle of the road or maybe the low end of good. And mm. I think this was sitting a little below that. I think it was totally yeah. watchable. It didn't feel janky, but, you know, they didn't have the budget. Yeah, well... I don't know if I agree with that because um, the stu- one of the studios that worked on this, it looks like it was a co-animation studio that was done um, by um, the the two studios that are on the list are going to be White Fox and Sea Station. Um, sea Station, if you if you don't know their works, they've they've done um, just a, a couple of things. Um, it looks like uh, it's it's mostly just like camp stuff, like laid back camp and hey ya camp and opus colors and stuff I haven't heard of before. Um, Go into camp, others, camp to the, the other, camping. The, others, the other one though is called White Fox and White Fox has done quite a few things. Um, some of their big ones that they've done are Steins Gate, uh, The Devil is a Part Timer, um, oh, yeah. uh, ReZero, Starting Life in Another World, um, Goblin good. Slayer. Um, they've, mm. they've done they've done <laughs> They've done quite a few like things that are different that seem like they have a uh, a higher animation quality than this. Um, what it this seems like, uh, and I don't want to shit on Square Enix because like I used to love the Final Fantasy games, and a lot of people really do love the Final Fantasy games. And one of the problems I think though is that I have not done Squ- I have not seen Square Enix do a anime adaptation um, or like a anime adjacent adaptation like um when they when they did that that final fantasy movie that came out um yeah and it's just they they seem like one of the things that they do is that they they want to give you enough to where it is going to be passable but it seems like they put it on like a very regimented timetable so you have to cut corners in order to spit out the thing that they're going to pull from you and it when you see a lot of credits um attached to a show usually it means that the show is being pushed out as fast as possible so they have to like kick some of the work to other studios so that they can um you know render it faster and and turn it around faster with that being said i think that it is it's passable but the problem with it is that when when i say something looks like it is lazy the way that it is done most of the time i actually mean something different which is that it looks like the studios that are pushing it out did not give the artistic team time enough to work on it because they were too lazy to wait for a quality product. It's that old Mm -hmm. saying where it's just like, you can have something good, you can have something fast, or you can have something cheap. And you can have two of those things, but you cannot have all three. So like, I think they wanted it to be good and they wanted it to be fast. Uh, Sorry, I I think they wanted it to be fast and they wanted it to be cheap. Um, so they, the good part of it, they were just like, we're going to be okay with it. And I think that that is, that is where you, you run into an issue. Um, and I, 
I think that the story of it is one of those which I will hold my opinion on it until we we need to read it on next week's episode. Um, Because I I believe a read because it's not legally readable. Uh, well, it may be, I'll it's not it. on the Shonen Jump <laughs> site, but uh, yeah, we can read it because I have been reading it. So I, yeah. I won't, you know, I'm, I will not technically go back and reread the first three chapters. I'm not going to drive up to the library so, for that, but, uh, so I'll hold my opinion until then because the story seems interesting to me, but I was really, really put off by not only the, um, the animation quality, but also the, the music choices that they made. Um, that huh. opening is bad, like not good. <laughs> like it's, it's also, it's so funny because I'm the like, most, did I... like nineties anime anime opening I've ever seen, <laughs> but it was from the 2010s. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like, I feel like I missed something here because I'm like, did I pay less attention because I already knew the story or something like that? Because none of this is ringing a bell. And like, I definitely think that, you generally have slightly higher standards for animation quality. Like I'm willing to let a few more things slide than you are. So it may be that this show is just sitting in that space where it didn't bother me and it did bother you. Um, But like, I don't remember thinking anything about the opening. I don't, you know, like I don't remember having any problems with the animation. Uh, So, you know, for me, all of the problems you're bringing up are things that, are news to me. Honestly, I was like, I wonder how you're going to take the story. And I was not going to be surprised if you didn't like it. Uh, but also I think it's likable, you know, I, I guess, I guess I'll say my piece on it, which is, well, first of all, it's, it's a, it, there's, it's set in a sort of fantasy world. And there is a kid who comes from a farming village who is coming to the, the central, capital city to become a soldier in the, I don't know, Royal army as a means of making money to send back home to enrich the lives of all of his townspeople that he's left behind. And uh, when he gets to the capital, everybody tells him that everyone in the capital is the worst. It basically is a city that is so corrupt that everyone is trying to fuck over everyone else. And he is kind of a bright eyed optimist. And so he gets fucked over real quickly uh, in a, a series of increasingly disturbing ways. And uh, at the end of which he realizes that there is a group of outlaw assassins that are maybe not the bad guys that he was told by the people who live in the capital that they might be. And maybe they're the good guys after all. And he decides to join up with them. And then the story is about him uh, assimilating into and going on missions and becoming stronger alongside this group of assassins. Um, So I I will say that for this, I guess I'll, I guess I'll spoil a little bit my manga review because it's most of my reviews about the way that the story is told, which is to say uh, for me, as I've said many times on the show, sometimes hyper violence and gore, particularly around killing characters, particularly if those characters are likable, uh, can be a bit of a turnoff. And I find that this show scratches the itch of cool fights and cool powers. This show and this manga are all about setting up excuses for for strong people with cool powers to fight each other. There's a system in which there are like enchanted weapons called Tegu in this world. 
And uh, if you wield one of them, you're given, you know, some type of mis- you know, magical power. Uh, and so there's all kinds of cool fights that are happening here. And I really, really like that. It is against the backdrop of characters in the capital that are cruel for the sake of cruel and against heroes that are whose ultimate goal is to have you killed dead. And so often these fights will rely on or end with hyper-violent sort of gory deaths. And I think that's apparent in the first few episodes And I think I like this series a lot. I've actually really enjoyed it. I actually was like, hey, I've been reading this for a while. I'm looking forward to watching the the anime. And then it happened to roll up on our list of suggestions, suggested by Booty Stank, by the way. And and I was really excited to watch it. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I think I was predisposed to enjoy it. But I was reminded while watching it that this is hyper-violent. And I kind of get a little squeamish with the hyperviolence sometimes and it makes me want to turn away from it and i think that the action is exciting enough and imaginative enough that it keeps me coming back for more but that the there is that little hurdle that like if you like me sort of uh wince at those things you're going to find yourself doing that a lot with this one and if uh if you get to the point where you're like I don't know, the Chimera Ants arc makes it hard for you to keep watching Hunter x Hunter, then not because of the terrible, terrible narration, but because of the people getting eaten, then uh, you might have a hard time with this one. Uh, but I, I like it a lot. I think that I think that this is a pretty down the down the line, like, you know, anime fights and excuses to have them type of story. And I enjoy those usually. And this is not an exception to that, but it does have that caveat. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. I don't, I'm, I didn't get any of what you were coming from, but I'm also <laughs> like, again, I knew the story. So like maybe I stopped looking at the screen during the more boring parts and just looked up during like big dramatic sections. I don't know. Maybe I was just like, Oh, I've been wanting to watch this. So I'm predisposed to like it and wasn't thinking critically. I don't know. So uh, I, I guess I'm punting this one a little bit to the listeners uh, as far as do you guys agree with Spencer that there are like there are it feels like there are corners being cut. Um, did it not bother you? Uh, would you you know, and I think an important aspect of that is would you normally agree with Spencer on these things? Are you the type like like we are that, you know, rejects out of hand when an anime brings in like a CG animated element or does that not bother you? Etc. Etc. So, what what do you think? And yeah, I I agree, Spencer. Let's uh, revisit this next week so we can hear your full thoughts. All right, uh, Blake. We have uh, an anime that we are covering this week. It's called Mob Psycho oh. One Hundred. It oh. is entering the end of the second season. And, yeah, I think uh, this is the end of the second season, right? Yeah. So we are going to be talking about after this episode. We are going to be talking about the current season of Mob Psycho 100, season Ooh. three, that is is like not still coming out. I think it's wrapped up season three, but we, we're going to be covering ended. it in like fucking re, real time, y'all. Yeah. Um, so get ready. But uh, let's hear about what happened previously on Mob Psycho 100. 
Well, there's a kid named Mob. That's his nickname, uh, but that's what we're going to call him. Uh, he's 12 or so. He's in middle school. He is a pretty normal middle school boy. He is riddled with social anxiety, uh, mostly around uh, struggling to connect with people socially and, you know, going through puberty and all the all the normal middle school stuff that you might feel self-conscious about. He's right there. Uh, but the thing that sets him apart is that he is an atypically naturally gifted psychic. So he has extremely powerful, mostly telekinetic abilities, but also sometimes it, it dips into telepathy. So telekinetic is uh, moving things with your mind. Telepath is reading other minds. So he, he's got a little bit of both, but it almost always manifests as uh, telekinesis. And um, he uh, he has been working at a like a sort of a detective agency of uh, of sorts where he has been understudying that's not it uh what's the what's the <laughs> not theater word training uh, apprenticing apprenticing uh with um with a guy who claims to have insane psychic powers a guy named reagan uh the truth is that reagan has no psychic powers but he is an extremely suave con man and so he uh, just pretends like he has psychic powers, but the reason he's not using his powers is so that Mob can uh, become, you know, better as his apprentice. And he uses Mob's very real psychic powers to take care of very real ghosts and other sort of supernatural problems. And uh, they have had a series of misadventures. Some of those misadventures involved a secret organization named Claw. Claw is... Uh, a group of psychics, I guess they're called espers in this universe, a group of espers that are um, banding together with the eventual goal of world domination. Well, what else is new? And uh, they have recently launched their, their plan for world domination. They began by kidnapping the prime minister of Japan on live television. And then they took over what I believe is the Tokyo Tower uh, but although this is technically a fictional city, it is a facsimile of the Tokyo Tower that they've taken over, and uh, they have pretty well fucked up the the town around the not exactly Tokyo Tower, and uh, they have um, they they have their leader in here who is uh, I don't know I, I actually don't know what he's pl- about to do. I think he's just sort of like enjoying the destruction as it happens. But uh, Mob and his group of allies have been slowly approaching the tower with the intent of stopping all of this stuff from happening. And um, and at the end of the last episode, they had a, a desperate, really good, but sort of Pyrrhic victory style battle against an extremely powerful psychic that was ultimately won by the appearance of Mob. And at the end of that, Mob somewhat uncharacteristically told all of his friends not to follow him into the not exactly Tokyo Tower for the final boss fight because they are not strong enough to handle it and they will just end up getting in his way. Uh, And everybody was a little surprised by this, but from the perspective that Mob has been a, a very meek character that has trouble speaking up for himself. And so this is actually sort of a respectable display of character growth. And uh, so then, yeah, Mob proceeded into not exactly Tokyo Tower to take on the big bad here. 
uh, who we haven't really been introduced to. We've seen a little bit, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna really get to know him this time. Um, other than that, you need to know Mob's super powerful. Uh, there's a there is a uh, uh, well, there's uh, Reagan, of course, who is his sensei, uh, whatever. And then there's a kid named Sho, who, as it turns out, is the son of the leader of Claw, but does not support their aims, who tried to stop his father in the, the preceding episodes, but was unfortunately defeated. And so we're going to sort of pick up with Sho having just been defeated by his father as Mob is making his way up, not exactly Tokyo Tower. Yeah, so our first episode today um, is going to be, I think it's episode 12, am I, am yeah. I looking at this right? Um, You're right. Yeah, okay. So episode 12, God, why is everything in the wrong place? Um, the Battle for Social Rehabilitation That's just friendship. how life is sometimes, Spencer. Yeah, so um, here's... <laughs> can we talk about... <laughs> can we talk about how... Um, Friendship is going to be like a, it's going to be like a, a thing in this episode. There's and, a bit of a Naruto moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it makes more sense than it does sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So the leader of claw has distributed his powers. He reveals that like one of the things that he has been able to do is that he has been able to give other people his power. And because of that, he can take it back whenever he wants to um, mob at the same time is going to very quickly free the prime minister. Um, and then he's going to be, he's going to get into a fight with uh, Sarazawa, which I immediately was like, oh man, he's going to be such a sweet character. He's got like this umbrella. He's got like this uh-huh. way of fighting that looks so sweet. Um, it turns out that his ability is actually pretty cool. It's like he can infuse um, something I'm assuming it's the umbrella because that thing is like his crutch, but it yeah. seems like he has like an infusion power where he can make something move super fast and super strong. If he puts his psychic ability inside of it. And that's what he does with this umbrella. And he reveals that in the past he was treated badly and left alone by everybody because he was seen as a threat because he had this like unbridled power um, I think, that, I think he, uh, see, I interpreted this as he self-imposed exile. No, I, I, I think, I think more so that yes, it was a self-imposed exile, but it was probably caused by the same issue that like a gambit from X-Men was caused by, which is that he hurt everybody around him or, um, like, uh, You're gosh, talking about what Rogue. is her name? No, no, no. I'm talking about Gambit too. Gambit's ability is that he can infuse um, he can infuse things with their kinetic energy, so he can turn yeah. their um, their kinetic energy to um, what's the other word for it? Uh, or it's like released energy, frenetic energy. Anyways, it, it um, explodes. <laughs> yeah, and like one of the his things real that problem he did is that he's when, a member of the Thieves Guild, and he tried to fuck over Kandra <laughs> when she made a play for the Thieves Guild, and she did not like that because Kandra actually is the source of the power of the Thieves Guild, but also the Assassins Guild, and they don't like each other, and so the Thieves Guild sort of exiled him. He also had uh, his marriage, which was falling apart because it was a bit of a marriage of convenience for political reasons, but he, his heart wasn't in it. So he sort of removed himself from that situation. I think that's really where that came from, but sure. He can make shit explode. Uh, um, Anyways. (laughs) um, So the, the, one of the things that, um, that 
Remy or Gambit can do is that he can make things explode by infusing them with their power. Before he gained his, like, focus and control over this, he hurt a lot of people by accident. Um, and so I, I always think back to him because there was this, like, there was a, there was a big conversation apparently about what happened when he was younger. Like it's his backstory of like, you know, did he hurt his family or something like that? Did he burn down his own house? Uh, yes. Is he a summer's brother? Um, there's so many of like the X-Men characters that are built up as like, they, they hurt their family because they don't know what their powers are and they manifest in a way that happens too fast before they can deal with it. Um, this is the same way that, uh, that he is inside of the show, his powers manifested and they hurt the people around him that he cared about to the point where his family and himself shut each other away from each other. So he became this person that was alone in a room, just living his okayest life. Um, yeah, which is a big trope that you see in anime because I think it is, I think it's art imitating life. And I I hope I'm not being insensitive by saying this, but the, the sort of like shut in who is kind of a fuck up and only, you know, plays video games all day and, and doesn't contribute. And the family is just like, why won't he get out of the room is like a big trope in, in anime. And I would assume because it shows up in anime so frequently that it is a thing that shows up occasionally in Japanese society. And he's that guy. Yeah. But when he is introduced by the leader of, uh, introduced to the leader of claw, he comes into his room and he stops his ability. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's uh, the guys it, like we'll hang out all the time. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's you're, really you'll be my friend, and here take you, this umbrella so that yeah. you can be protected from the outside world. And he's this like, "This an, motherfucker gave me I'm an umbrella." Yeah, <laughs> this it, it's a really interesting moment because it is kind, and uh, it, it it's like the the. <sighs> Um, leader of Claw has been built up as a sort of like selfish, power hungry guy who's using people and his ability to sort of like give people powers is a, a means to an end. And that end is to use them for his own self aggrandizement. And uh, in this moment, it's like, it's, I don't know. The, no, I guess this is a weird thing to bring up because I don't think anything comes of it. I don't think this is a secret window into the unexpected goodness hiding inside this villain. Uh, because that's not that's not how things are going to are going to end up. But it just struck me as interesting that like this guy goes into this room uh, of this shut in, not because he wants to help him but because he wants to use him. But the solution is a type of kindness. It is saying, hey, your problem is that you perceive the world as dangerous and yourself as dangerous to the world. And I am going to give you this umbrella, which is just a fucking umbrella. It's not special. It's made special partly because of the abilities of the shut-in guy. 
but partly because of the meaning that it is infused with by this otherwise villainous character when he is like, hey, this umbrella will protect you from the world and it will protect the world from you. And so you have been shut in this whole time because you're afraid of what you might do if you weren't. And I am telling you that this is your key to the outside world and you can go about safely because you'll have this. And it's just, it's it's a cool solution to this problem and it becomes this like safety blanket thing. And I, I really enjoy that. Uh, but it's just so interesting that this like kind of heartless user of people villain busts out this like moment of like absolute empathy to get uh, to manipulate somebody into working for him. Yeah. It's, it's, it seems like pretty false empathy, empathy. If he, he absolutely seems more like manipulation than anything else. Anyways. Yeah. Um, I, and I think that's where it comes down. It's not, it's not an, it's not an empathetic awareness of a character from a point of kindness. It's using empathy to manipulate the people around you. And then this fight is going to come down to empathy that is sincere. And I, I really love that. I, I think this yeah. ending is a, a really good sort of pileup of juxtapositions and it works so well. Yeah. Also um, the way the, the fight doesn't end up being like a, a really big fight. It ends up being nah. like a, a quick back and forth that pushes mob to the point of his compassion. He is going to reach 100% and he is going to blast Sherazawa with his emotions to the point um, that Sherazawa is just like, I am not alone in this world. I have been taken advantage of and he doesn't care about me, but I can have a true and honest friend in this moment and connect with Mob. And it is yeah. this beautiful way to end and it, it like changes the way that you viewed how they're going to build up and fight inside of this moment. And it's, yeah, it's, to the point, the point of it is that mob and he are the same. This guy is like, I, I don't have any friends and mob builds up the, his emotions to release a series of memories, uh, which happen to be clips from the show that we've been watching that show mob struggling to find friends and then succeeding. And so the point of which is, Hey, your struggle isn't unique. I understand where you're coming from, but I also overcame it. And here's how. And then mob like bends down to him and is like, I will be your friend. Mm -hmm. it, it would be my honor really. And, and the guy just breaks. He has no resolve to fight anymore because this is what was really missing. Yeah. That takes us into uh, the confrontation, which as at the end of this episode and the beginning of next episode, so I'm just going to introduce you to it. Episode 13, Boss Fight of the Final Light. Um, this episode is going to pick up immediately from the previous episode, and it's all going to be one sequence of fight between Mob and Toshiro. Um the fight begins with Mob trying to stand up to Toshiro and tell him that what he is doing is wrong. He is going to be able to stop Toshiro for about two seconds before he is taken to the ground, slammed over and over again. Even when he goes 100%, um, he 
he's not able to keep up with Toshiro at all. It, it, it quickly looks like it is going to be a very one-sided curb stop battle. Um, there's even a moment where um, Toshiro's son is going to try to fight for him, and he is going to be like, okay, I'll, I'll stand up for you. Um, and he's going to try a sneak attack. Toshiro immediately counters it. Um, Serizawa is really the only reason that Mob doesn't completely get blasted off the fucking earth. Um, yeah, he he and, sho- shows up out of nowhere with his umbrella to like take the full force of a blast, and because of the way that his power works, he's mm-hmm. able to like deflect the energy or something. It's pretty mm-hmm. sweet. Uh, I also yeah. think it's worth pointing out that we get some backstory on uh, what's the villain's name, Toshiro. Toshiro. Uh, yeah. So Toshiro is the head of Claw, and his his backstory is very minimal. Um. But it's essentially, I I realized at a, a very young age that I had insane psychic powers and that I did not relate to the people around me. And then um, my reaction to that was that I will take over the world someday. And, you know, it's pretty simple. It's pretty, it's, it's simple and it's not particularly hidden, but this is a direct and intentional parallel to Mob. Mob is a middle schooler right now. He has a typically high levels of psychic powers, which is in part proved by the fact that he's fucking standing here having a showdown with you. Mm -hmm. And like there, you know, this, this show does such a good job of something that I think uh, the best outside of anime cultural touchstone I can think of, or the most recognizable would be the Marvel movies. Most of the time, the first time you see a superhero, the person that they're fighting is them, but but mean. So, you know, the first Iron Man movie, he's fighting evil Iron Man. The first, uh, not Thor, but uh, whatever. You get the idea. It, the hero, the villain has very similar powers and opposite ideals. And this is generally good storytelling because it allows you to understand the hero better by having their most strongly held ideas and their sort of core beliefs challenged by a villain that is the them that made a different decision. And I think Mob Psycho 100 is an absolute masterclass in doing this in ways that are not particularly subtle, but that are so effective. And this final fight is that. Yeah. And also, one of the things that is going to happen inside of this fight is that people are going to try to stand up and help Mob and Mob, at every occurrence of this, is just like, you need to go. Because yeah. he understands that he's like, this is a different level. Everybody needs to get the fuck out of here. And one of the things that it happens inside of this is that everybody is going to try to listen to him, but also be conflicted about it to the point where even Reagan is going to be so conflicted that he is going to try to go to stand up against Toshiro as well. And yeah. the only reason that he is saved is because of Sarazawa and Mob. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so- Before he's saved, let's talk about his plan, which was the oh. exact same shit he pulled a moment ago in our last episode when he tries to sneak attack, slap someone into unconsciousness while yelling that he feels threatened so that he has plausible deniability in case someone tries to sue him later. Absolutely hysterical. But this time it is repeated for dramatic irony because it does not succeed at all. Uh, The villain saw through it. And instead of being slapped by him, it is revealed that the villain created a sort of like psychic 
after image of himself that Reagan thought he was talking to and attempting to slap the real one, but it was actually a trick. Yeah. Um, so, so here's where the fight really starts to explode as well. <laughs> Explode's a great word for it. <laughs> yeah, because um, it's okay. Finish your sentence, Blake. <laughs> well, uh, this fight is explosive in many ways. The the first is, as we've seen several times in Mob Cycle 100, sometimes when the shit hits the fan, it becomes a visual smorgasbord of uh, characters bouncing around the screen in a series of uh, bright lights and fast motion that I th- I find to be quite visually arresting and uh, sort of like satisfying from a pulse pounding adrenaline action sequence perspective. Um, And that is this fight. It is big fucking moves. Uh, It's not quite the Dragon Ball experience of characters turning into little uh, lines on the screen because they're moving too fast for the eye to follow. This, you get to watch it. It's super fast and there's a lot happening in quick succession. So you can sometimes be a little overwhelmed by the, I don't know, uh, uh, relentless approach to action that this show can have. But uh, yeah, it, it sort of it sort of explodes into a series of explosive psychic bouts. And then uh, there are like some more real explosions as their powers ratchet up and yeah. the uh, the um, like there's a sequence in which mob sort of gets the upper hand and he has kind of trapped Toshiro in his psychic hold and he is using his powers to like create almost like what we saw in the pain fight in Naruto recently where like Naruto or pain created a sort of like tiny moon of debris mob sort of is able to gather debris and do the same thing. And then he like is going to smash Toshiro into it. Although I believe Toshiro at the last second, turns the tables on him and then tosses mob into the moon of debris. Yeah. So here's the deal. Um, we say this every once in a while where we get full Sakaga and we just tell you to watch it. You need yeah. to watch this one. Um, put it, down it's a visual this podcast. Feast. Yeah. Put down this podcast. Even if you've seen it before, watch it again. I saw it. Uh, also, on YouTube. even though you're Look not technically up. holding the podcast, put it down. Yeah. Just set it down. Um, and here's the thing. Um, after you do that, come back and we'll talk about the end moment, which is Mob is going to push Toshiro to the limit to the point where he must use 100% of his power. The yeah, they actually, is. they're doing the thing. <laughs> there were there was a distinction made between Mob going 100% and going question mark percent, which has been not particularly explored deeply, but I think it has been established well enough. And you can kind of assume that this is something past a hundred percent and he's kind of living in that zone, but also it turns out that Toshiro has the same thing where his abilities ratchet up and then he, uh, you know, this is the word of the episode explode. He explodes into greater power. And so it's like, even though mob has hit this kind of like when he's not winning, he's going to hit this mode and now he'll win. 
unfortunately, this villain has the same thing. And so that is not the trump card we're used to it being. Yeah. And Toshiro, in releasing all of this power, has hit something else, which is a different kind of limit, which is that yeah. his body cannot withstand the amount of power that is rushing through it at this time. And because of that, he is going to explode, killing himself and everyone around him if they don't evacuate immediately. Mob tells everybody else to leave, and he goes to Toshiro. And he's just like, look, I'm not going to leave you alone in this. I understand you, and I understand that you don't understand completely what you have done and who you have hurt, but I'm going to be with you in this final moment to try to mitigate the damage and also make sure that you aren't completely alone in this. And yeah, Mob what starts you're going to through absorb. is so terrible that you shouldn't be yeah. alone in it, even though you're terrible. Yeah, it's just a, it's just Mob being full on the most protagonist that he could possibly be. And he is going to absorb as much power as he can from Toshiro to see if he can possibly get saved. And then there's a giant explosion and the explosion looks like first and foremost, a giant mushroom cloud, but yeah. then it's different in a way that we don't expect, which is that everything whites out and all of a sudden mob is found at the very top of a very, very giant tree that is sprouted up and Toshiro ends up getting carted off by the psychic police. I'm assuming. Um, and, uh, I think it's just the regular police cause he did <laughs> kidnap the prime minister. Yeah, and so um, Which it most ends up, most people frown on. Yeah, it ends up with Mob being taken um, <laughs> to get more clothes. <laughs> <laughs> the end of this fucking episode is so like is such like three jokes <laughs> in succession that hit me so fucking hard and made me laugh so fucking hard. I just. Oh my God. Um, first of all, he needs a new shirt. <laughs> and so he's going to go get a new shirt, but they're like, mob, you need to, you need to walk. And he's like, I can't move my body. And so they just like float him along. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's just like weeks later, um, being taken in by, um, uh, by Reagan. And they're just like, okay, we need to figure out, uh, what, what we're going to do next. And Reagan's just like, oh, well, you you might need to take a little bit of time off. Uh, we might need to, like, regroup. And he's just like, well, I had this hole in my shirt. I don't know what happened. Well, it turns out the piece of broccoli that he had earlier from part of his he lunch. Had some bro- he had, a, like, a packet of broccoli seeds. Yeah, of broccoli seeds. But he, he like infused them with power and so now in the city in the center of the city there's just a giant broccoli stock and <laughs> yeah, everybody it's, not a tree, it's broccoli <laughs> and it just cuts to like this news like these news people that are just like where did the broccoli come from <laughs> what <laughs> what created the broccoli the giant broccoli explosion around the prime minister did you it's just like, like catch all that shit in the background? I giggled yeah, so it, hard at the end of this episode. <laughs> it is it is the perfect marriage of like epic and ridiculous where you're like that's so cool. He like so so what happened was instead of 
the villainous guy exploding and killing himself and probably killing Mob and probably leveling the city, Mob was able to absorb some of his power because as we saw in the first episode of Mob Psycho 100 Part 2, uh, Mob is able to uh, learn other psychic abilities by seeing them and sort of deducing how they work. And so in this fight, Mob realized how to transfer his psychic powers. Uh, Actually, I think he's given psychic powers to Reagan once, uh, but uh, he was able to learn how to siphon off somebody else's psychic powers. And so he takes enough of the psychic power out of the villain so that he won't explode. But now, you know, he's full of explosive amounts of psychic power and he's got to solve that problem. And so he subconsciously channels it into the broccoli stalk, which I think also is a callback to the first episode of part two, but uh, also maybe a reference to the plant user that was a member of Claw. Uh, And so he infuses those broccoli seeds with some psychic power and turns it into a super growing broccoli stalk. And instead of exploding, he creates this like explosive new growth. And that is the way that he saves himself and the villain and the city and it's just goddamn great it's so good yep. this show is so good yep but we're done with mob psycho season two um prepare for oh, mob and, psycho uh, season three um, umbrella guy is now working at reagan's uh, agency oh, yeah. but mob is that like, was the third joke i forgot to mention because yeah, he's mob's <laughs> apprentice and it's just like it's funny because mob is like so uncomfortable to have somebody under him and the guy is like completely subservient uh and also and there's like, also an age thing that's part of japanese culture that mob is un- uncomfortable with but it's yeah. good character growth too yeah anyways stick with us after these credits we'll talk about what's coming on next week what is coming on next week ship it in Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 15 sound wizard. Fireball! 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 Ad-free versions of our podcast are available on Patreon, along with extra Patreon-only goodies, like additional conversations and articles written by the hosts. Follow us on Twitter at B&SGetJumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. We also have a Discord server, and you can find links to that on our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every week. Thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind, a geek-centric website that covers all manners of topics from video games and anime to tabletop games, board games, comics, and more. If you're looking for a website to add to your daily rotation for some of the latest news, reviews, and overall takes on where geek culture is headed, make sure to bookmark thegeeklygrind.com and pay us a visit. I also wanted to thank you uh, for being a faithful listener to this podcast podcast. 
Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is a vital member of our podcast family, which also includes Knights of the World Table, which is a D&D audio drama podcast, The Ink and Paint Club, an animation podcast, Comic Book Keepers, which is a comic book podcast, and Geek Exploration, the podcast which is on general geek culture. We also have the Geekly Grind podcast, which provides audio renditions of our published articles, special guests, and more. Make sure to seek those out and listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Next time on Bleak and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Naruto Shulam, episodes 172 to 175. I did not say it like that. Nobody you did said say it, it like, like that. that. Nobody sounds like that. Nobody says things incorrectly it's like that. In the episode, in the episode next week, there's going to be a whole story about the background of the Akatsuki, <laughs> and ju- just get ready for it. And fuck Blake. Anyways, bye. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs>